Old Testament reading is from Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from Hebrews and it's chapter 1. And it's found on page 1201 in your church Bibles. So it's Hebrews 1, and it's on page 1,201 in your church Bibles. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, 
He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. We're going to be working our way through that on page 543. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a speaking and revealing God. Pray that you would speak and reveal yourself to us this morning. Give us eyes and open ears to see you more clearly and to hear what you have to say to us. If we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a new Christian, I remember a previous vicar in the church that I was going to invited me to a Bible study early in the morning. So I took him up on it and um, I arrived a little after six o'clock in the morning and this was the psalm that we looked at, Psalm 2. It's been a very precious psalm to me uh, ever since. It was the first psalm I ever worked my way through. I hope you find it uh, encouraging and a real blessing this morning. I wanted you to know that Psalm 2 is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament. If Psalm 1 contrasts the righteous and the wicked, Psalm 2 contrasts the rebellion of the wicked and wicked nations and rulers and God's rightful King, King Jesus. And the careful reader amongst us this morning will spot that this is broken down into four sections, four different acts with four different voices speaking. Verse 1 to 3, there's the, ver- there's the voice of the nations. Verses 4 to 6, there's the voice of the one who sits on the throne. There's, uh, in verse 7 to 9, what's said by the Father to the Son. And there's the warning from the psalmist uh, to the hearer in verses 10 to 12. Psalm 2 is known as a coronation psalm. It was a psalm that was likely to be read out to the new ruler who sat on the throne of Israel. And verse 1 says, uh, it starts off by saying to this new king, look, look over your shoulder, watch your back. Uh, The nations, the peoples may plot against you. Be wary on your rise to power. The nations will test you to see what kind of king or general you're going to be. Resistance was a, a real thing to cope with for the new monarch on the throne. But there's two horizons, uh, two references in view here, a little bit like scaling a mountain range. 
you kind of reach the first peak and then, ah, before you, you see the real peak way up ahead. You've got a lot more uh, to climb up. And so as we scale the first peak, the immediate context of this psalm is about King David. He's the anointed one in view here. Look at verse 6. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I wonder if we get this. Uh, have any of you had to install an operating system onto a, onto a phone or a computer? Maybe like Windows 10 or the latest Mac operating system. We get this language, don't we? The, the installed uh, uh, operating system. That's the starting point uh, that we work from. Coded into the Christian faith, if I can put it like that. The starting point is there's an installed king on the throne. Now that might be news to someone here this morning. And God is seen in this psalm as installing his king. On Zion, which was one of the hills uh, uh, which the original city was built on. It was a Jebusite city that was built by them way before the Israelites built their city. Uh, And so Zion is simply just another way of referring to the whole of Israel, the entire city of Jerusalem. So the psalm proclaims, here in Jerusalem, a king has been installed, but all the foreign kings are hostile and conspiring against him. Therefore, the psalmist issues a warning to the nations. God's with the king. God is with him. And God's going to take care of him. God's going to come to his aid. That's how you can read this psalm on one level. But actually, that's just the view from the first peak. The view from the second peak uh, is a lot more glorious. For no earthly king can completely justify the fury of the threats that we see in this text, nor the glory in the promises that come from it. The language of this psalm kind of spills out over the banks. If Psalm 2 was a river, the language that that comes over uh, the side can't be confined to any earthly king. The psalm speaks of a greater king, a greater David, a greater son, a greater servant. Look at verse 2. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That word for anointed one in the Hebrew is Meshayak, which we get the word Messiah. Uh, God has installed his Messiah, his Christ, on the throne. So this psalm tells us three things. Uh, verse 4 to 9, there's a true king on the throne. We have a king, a king behind the kings, my king, God says. Verse 1 to 3 tells us that people hate the king. And um, verse 10 to 12 summons us that although there is a king and although we hate the king, we need this king. That's what it tells us, that we'll never find true blessedness and fulfilment in life if we don't have the king. We must serve him, rejoice in him. We must kiss the king. So three points. We have a king. We hate the king. We need the king. Let's go. Well, we have a king. There's all these kings all around us, aren't there? Wanting to try and get our worship and our adoration. But we have the king. There's a king behind the kings. There's a king before the kings. There's the king of kings. And what's fascinating about popular culture is We've adopted this idea. We've grabbed hold of this idea. We've, we've run with it. There's a familiar narrative in our culture today, isn't there, that says there was once a great king who ruled, 
with compassion. And he was on the throne. He ruled with wisdom and compassion and justice. And there was a golden age when everyone reached their potential under this king. And everyone blossomed under his rule. The land blossomed. Relationship blossomed. Civilizations blossomed. But something's taken the king away. And since the king's gone, things have started to deteriorate. Does that sound familiar? There's loads of legends like that. Think of the, the kind of Robin Hood movie. <clears throat> I was on holiday a couple of weeks ago and Mel and I with the kids watched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. A great movie if you haven't seen it. It's a classic. And so Robin Hood's there and he's fighting back the forces of darkness which come in the, the wicked sheriff of Nottingham and his evil witch. And then King Richard comes back and that kind of stops. The darkness has been kind of put back. King Arthur, the story's about Camelot. Does that kind of ring any bells? When Arthur's around, there's Camelot, isn't there? Kind of on his tombstone when he dies, it's kind of written on his stone. Here lies the once and future king. And that's key for us to understand. And for the Disney fans amongst us, perhaps we kind of remember this in The Lion King with kind of Mustafa and Scar. And then when the true king comes back to power, when he shows up, he brings healing uh, with him to the land and to relationships and everything starts to blossom but why why do we have this narrative in our culture why is it there when the record of human kings is pretty awful isn't it when we look back it's filled with tragedy and tyranny uh, and slavery but there is a king there is there is one who rules with ultimate wisdom and compassion and justice and power and all of us are built to submit to that king the king of the kingdom and to give ourselves wholeheartedly to obey him and to adore him and worship him but we live in a world that doesn't want the king a bit like the sheriff of nottingham we we want to be the king ourselves don't we we want to be king so there is a king but we hate the king and we don't need to look too far to see that the world hates a wife said to her husband, shall we watch the six o'clock news and have indigestion or shall we stay up and watch the 11 o'clock news and have insomnia? We live in a world, don't we, that's full of bad news. And here's why. Look at verses one to three with me of Psalm two. Why do the nations conspire? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Why do the kings of the earth take their stand? Why do the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one? Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The nations conspire, the peoples plot, the kings make their stand, the rulers gather together against who? Against God and against his Messiah. Here's the big picture. Here's the, the big kind of worldview building blocks that we need in our foundation at the beginning of this year of mission. That there is a king but there's a united nations who stand opposed to him. There is a worldwide rebellion made up of the nations, of individuals and kings and rulers, all shaking their puny fists at God and saying no. What are they saying no to? Verse 3, being with you is like being chained up hand and foot. We want to cast you off. We want nothing to do with you, God. We want to break free of your chains. Well, why are the nations in such an uproar? 
uh, against God and his Messiah. Why are they raging? Well, well, I think it comes down to that word fetters. That word fetters carries with it the idea that a yoke is upon them, like two animals that are, that are yoked to a cart. There's a yoke on their necks attaching them to this plough. God has a hold over his creation. The nations, the rulers, the kings, they're upset because they've got an owner. There's one who owns the kings of the earth. There's an owner and it, and it causes fury because the kings and the rulers and the nations say, I want to be my own. I want to be free. I want to be the captain of my own soul. I want to be the master of my own destiny. And that creates hell in our lives. It creates hell in our relationships. It creates hell in our communities. It creates the hell that we see on the news. The Bible says naturally we're at war with God. Romans 8 verse 7 says, the natural mind is at enmity with God. We naturally hate the idea of having a king who rules over us, a king who has rights over us, a king whose yoke uh, is on us, a king who says, you're not your own, you belong to me. Surely people don't hate God, though, do they? Really? Isn't the problem more indifference to God? Uh, Isn't that the issue? Well, think about Jesus for a moment. God the Son enters into time and space, and we mocked him, and we spat at him, and we punched him in the face, and we scourged his back, and we nailed him, and then we buried him. I've often thought that the issue with my kind of family and my friends that don't yet know Jesus is this indifference, but I wonder if it's deeper than that. I'm not sure that this psalm says it's just indifference. I think there is a real hatred. I'm not saying that everyone's kind of raging as intensely against God as they could, but scratch the surface with people and you feel this tension, don't you? People do not want to submit to Jesus as their king and obey him, who says, be holy for I am holy. It's really challenging. Jesus said in John 15, verse 18 to 19, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Sometimes we can feel that. Sometimes our very nice next door neighbour, we can, we can feel that tension against us. But the Bible says to our nice neighbour and our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus, they're plotting in vain. They're making their stand against God together, against God and his anointed king. So what's God's reaction to this rebellion? Well, some of you might find what I'm about to say next actually quite offensive. Have a look at verse 4 with me. What does God say in the face of this puny rebellion to those who refuse to come under Jesus' rule? The one enthroned in heaven laughs at them. The Lord scoffs. He rebukes them. He terrifies them in his wrath. The one in throne laughs. He mocks them. He mocks this puny rebellion. Why? Verse 6 tells us he's installed his king on his holy hill. There is a king who rules over everyone and everything. Well, we have a king, but we hate the king. But finally, we need the king. We need the king. Look at what God has said of his king. Verse 7. The king is the true son 
of the Father. Verse 8 and 9, the king is the just ruler of the nations. They're his inheritance. They're his possession. And when the king comes back, he's going to come back into the world and he's going to come back into a world which, broadly speaking, hates and despises and defies him. But he's come to bring in his rule and bring, all, bring, bring to an end all evil and rebellion and sin against him. And verse 9 tells us that it's going to be as easy for him to bring in his rule as it would be for us to smash a cup and saucer. It's incredible. And when Jesus brings in his rule, he's going to bring in the golden era where every Christian is going to be glorified, where every Christian is going to blossom and will see and will reach their full potential. Revelation 21 puts it like this. The one seated on the throne says, See, I make all things new. He's coming to bring in his kingdom fully and finally. And there's an incredible mercy shown by the king, even to those who've rejected him in verse 2. And, and the plea is for them to come to their senses. Look at verse 10 to 12 with me. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. But blessed, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Do you see? We have a king and we need the king. We're like an eight-cylinder engine of a car running on only one cylinder without him. We're coughing and spluttering our way through life. We need him. You and I need him. So what does this mean for you and I? Well, firstly, there's a danger for us to avoid. There's a danger for our friends and our neighbours and our families who don't yet know Jesus to avoid if he doesn't have his rightful place in their life. There's a call on our lives to follow this king. And here... Hear this loving warning from the king. Mel and I were on holiday a couple of weeks ago and we went to Swanage and we decided to go down to Anvil Point to go and check out the lighthouse. Anyone ever been there? It's really lovely. It's this beautiful lighthouse. And on the way, we, we stopped and had a cup of tea uh, and a little break and then looked out of this lighthouse and then walked back and we tried to walk back on the coastal path. We came to this signpost that said, steps this way to the coastal path. And I kind of thought, that would be all right, we're on holiday, a little adventure, we'll kind of do this. So I, I picked up our buggy, which is at the back, and it's always loaded with stuff, and Mel was carrying the baby. So we decided to brave our way down these few steps. And then we came to a clearing, and it kind of opened up, and we saw this family walking up, and I said to this family, are there many more steps? No, no, not too many more steps, just keep, keep to the left, you'll be fine. So we then made our way down to these steps, and... It was probably one of Dad's infamous shortcuts again. I'd clearly taken a wrong route, and we ended up down the beach. And we'd clambered over these rocks and these boulders, and it was kind of past the point of no return. The tide's coming in, and Mel had lost a flip-flop. Not only that, she lost her flip-flop, and then she cut her foot. And so she decided to chuck her other flip-flop, and, and she was starting to feel a bit panicked because the tide's coming in. And it's starting to freak us out a little bit now. The tide's coming in. I'm carrying the pushchair. Mel's carrying Joel. And Myra and Tyler are scrambling over these rocks and boulders. And it's a real nightmare. And we probably went, I think it was almost a mile that we did this for. 
And I'm kind of thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this is really freaky. This is really crazy. Why didn't this family warn us? Why didn't they tell us? Don't be stupid. Don't go down the beach with your pushchair and with your baby. It's going to be really difficult. Uh, and it was difficult. We had to climb this huge bank at the other end and a fisherman had to help us up. It was a nightmare. <laughs> but here's the point. There's a danger to avoid, we're told in Psalm 2. Hear the warning. Obey the king. Bow down and worship him. Kiss the ring, we're told. Today is the day of salvation and mercy. Lest the sun be angry and you be destroyed in your way. Well, finally, and very briefly... There's a joy here. There's a joy to experience in relationship with your king. The nations, I don't know if you heard this before, the nations, the ends of the earth are Jesus' possession. The Christian here this morning is a gift from the Father to the Son. Isn't that precious? You're a gift that's going to be given to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a gift from the Father to the Son. If you're living with your King, you are completely safe. If you're relying on the King, if you're serving the King, if you're obeying the King, if you kiss the King, but there's no refuge from the King, but there's absolute joy in taking refuge in the King. Rejoice in Him, delight in Him. Verse 12, blessed are all, all who take refuge in Him. Philippians chapter 2 puts it like this. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus is Messiah, the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Well, if that's you, you'll see the glory. You'll see that golden age come in. You'll see the new creation and it blossom in all its glory and its splendour. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the amazing installed king. Please help us to bow the knee to you and to kiss you. Help us to adore and love and worship you this day and always. In Jesus' name. Amen.